0: Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF.
1: We bring you news and analysis every day on the Tape Podcast, but now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen to news and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe
2: today. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news.
2: Find the Bloomberg Markets podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, so we're here at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit. Part of that is financial inclusion. Let's define what financial inclusion is and how do we measure it. Uh, Kara Hugensen joins us, Senior Vice President and Head of Workplace Benefits, benefits and protection principle uh kara thanks so much for joining us here we appreciate you coming here to bloomberg what is financial inclusion and how do you measure it
3: so financial inclusion is about giving more people access to tools, products, services that enable them to ultimately, the goal is achieve financial security. And so making sure that a much broader group than today has access to all that they need in order to uh, make those decisions and achieve financial success. You know, It is partly about measuring the access, the number of people that uh, do have access to those products and services, but then it's also about the, their degree of comfort and security long-term, which is a bit subjective because that's going to look different for everybody, but we have a huge opportunity ahead of us to make sure that just that access is taken care of. Principal created an index called the Global Financial Inclusion Index last year. We just this week released our second edition of that. Okay. And it measures financial inclusion across 42 different markets. How different does, markets
1: in terms of countries Countries. Or?
3: 42 different countries. And really looks at the role of three pillars in each of those countries, the government, the financial system itself and the role of employers. And so we can measure each of those pillars by country and then aggregate that to determine kind of relativeness around financial inclusion. One of the things that this year's particular index showed is that those countries that are making the biggest progress in terms of financial inclusion are the ones that are making investments to digitally enable access to products and services. Think mobile banking, yeah. real-time payments, those types of solutions which inherently because so many of us and an ever greater percentage every day have access to those computers we hold in our hands. And so that's a really important component of financial inclusion, the the act the tools at people's fingertips.
1: So, I imagine we were just talking about holistic systems, and this isn't something that you're doing because um, necessarily you feel sorry for the people who aren't included. It's not about charity, right? I mean, in some senses maybe, but really uh, it should be good for the entire society if you include more people. So do you see a correlation between um, those? Markets that are more financially inclusive mm-hmm. and say, you know, stronger, more sustainable growth?
3: Absolutely. So, great, astute question. So, not only did we develop this index, but beyond that, we compared that index to different uh, indicators of overall economic progress. And there is a strong correlation there. Countries that have greater financial inclusion are more resilient. Whether it's resilience to climate change, whether it's resilience to geopolitical risks, they ultimately are more ethical um, economies, and that leads to happier, more secure—excuse me, more food secure individuals and brighter prospects for the future.
2: How does the US rank on, on your index?
3: So the US actually currently ranks number four. 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 We actually dropped a couple of spots from last year's rankings. And there were a variety of, of factors that went into that. One of which is, you know, just consumer sentiment is an underlying consideration in this research, and consumer sentiment is changing given, you know, all the different factors, whether it's the economy and concerns related to that, politics, um, the news cycle, uh, all of that feeding into overall consumer sentiment. So who's,
2: who's number one? Yeah,
3: Singapore is number no one. No
2: surprise
1: there. Yes,
3: very strong. on And mm-hmm. on all three pillars.
2: So, so much
1: easier, though. It's almost unfair, right? I mean, it's a much smaller market. It is, yeah. yeah.
3: But there's also been a lot of intentionality around how those three different pillars all pull their own weight in order to create a very financially inclusive country. And they have,
1: I think, a much... I mean, it's easier with a centrally... Acc- controlled economy, Mm -hmm. right? It's probably more difficult with uh, um, totally chaotic and broken democracy
2: like we have here in the US.
1: There
3: (laughs) are definitely different sets of challenges when not all the oars are rowing in the same direction.
2: (laughs) What are some of the countries that are, you know, maybe making big gains or maybe have some real challenges in front of them?
3: You know, I would say back to the comments around, you know, digitally enabling, you know, places like Taiwan and Vietnam are making some pretty significant gains because of the infrastructure investments that they are making to enable their citizens to access financial products and services. And beyond that, it's also the education that goes with the use of those products and services. Are there any
1: big laggards that surprised you? Any countries that you think should be making more headway?
3: Not specifically country by country. I think, you know, it's probably not a surprise that developed markets that have more resources to support their citizens generally rank higher on the index. And, you know, emerging markets tend to fall lower on the index. But again, the the digital component and investing in infrastructure to support digitization is really key. And those countries doing that are making the, the most progress year over year. How
2: about for, for women? I'm not sure. Sure. if it's just U.S. or just kind of what generally your findings are, women, do they feel more or less inclusive relative to maybe the, to the general population?
3: Sure. So uh, the short answer to that is they feel less included. They have less, less confidence and their perceptions around money management and investing are, are different than men. This There's recent research that Principal did with her money that just reaffirm that. I think there's very few people that would say they wouldn't benefit from Mm -hmm. additional education and advice, but in particular, women will significantly benefit from that. Well, here's a good
2: little story. Just from yesterday, I had lunch with my 27-year-old daughter. We spent most of lunch talking about investing like she would you know and you know she's got that marcus savings account and she's got a high interest rate there yeah she's got a high interest rate there she was just kind of asking a lot of questions about kind of what to do and you know
3: that's great yeah so
2: i was like Nice.
3: Oh, and you know. she's listening to dad.
2: Exactly. True. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I would, would say, say she, one out of four. she probably has a head start compared
1: to most other women in the world, though. Right. <laughs> you know. That is
3: very, very true. And that often is one of the issues, is just this overwhelming feeling of where to start. They may, you know, a lot of people don't have a dad that can talk with them, you know, yep. over a meal to, you know, answer those questions. And if you do a search on whatever your browser of choice is, you know, the amount of information that is at someone's fingertips doesn't make that process easier. All right, Kara.
2: Thanks so much for joining us, Kara. really appreciate it. Kara Hugginson, she's a senior vice president and head of workplace benefits uh, at the firm is is principal, correct? Correct. Awesome. So we got it there. So we're just talking about the uh, financial inclusion. They've got a cool index there that kind of measures that. Uh, The U.S. is ranked number four. We got a little work to do. There, folks, let's get out there and get it done. This is Bloomberg.
0: You're listening to The team, Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We got sun beating down on us, right, coming through the window here at 731 Lexington Avenue. We should use it. We should perfect time. What a great way Let's to make Let's put up a energy. solar panel. Let's yes. put up a solar panel. Let's talk solar energy. Abigail Ross <laughs> Hooper joins us. She's the president and CEO of the Solar Energy Industries Association. SEIA for the folks in the know. Abigail, thanks for joining us here. Talk to us about solar energy. I got to think it's a big beneficiary of the, you know, the, um, looking at the. The green transition. Yeah, the green transition, the Inflation
1: Reduction Act. We've seen peaks and troughs in terms of. Right. investor interest, but I'm sure the amount of panels out there just continues to grow to record after record.
4: Yeah. I mean, first of all, it is hot right here. Yes. Okay? yes true. So let's just have a moment. It's working. Yes. Okay? Yes. If anyone wondered, the technology works. <laughs> the, sun, um, the sun works. The sun works.
1: Global warming feels real right It's now.
4: really real right now. Um. Yeah. It is a pretty exciting time to be in the solar industry. Our projections tell us that this year, our industry is going to grow by about 52%, which... Wow. You were talking about something growing at half. As I was walking up here, we're going to double, uh, which is an exciting. Um, it's it's pretty. It, yeah, we were talking uh,
1: about 30-year treasuries. Yeah, That's typically a very safe investment. Yeah, has been a bad bet over the last three. Not years. not yeah. so exciting.
4: So um, yeah, solar is going to uh, the installations. 52%. What about the
1: backlash that Paul? Um, it has been talking about, you know, it's become a very political issue, yeah. ESG in general, the green right. transition, yep. obviously, and even though we probably see more solar panels in Texas than anywhere else <laughs> in the country, um, you've had, uh, especially those people down south, like really pushing back against ESG.
4: Yeah. So that's why you're never going to hear those letters or those come out of my mouth. But you know what you are <laughs> going to hear come out of my mouth? Uh, lower prices. Yep. Because... Yes, it is true that California is the state with the most solar in the country okay, right so now. Okay, so California has more solar than Texas. But Texas and Florida are two and three. Yep. And over the course of the next few years, it's really a race for which one's going to be number one. Texas and Florida are not known for their big D politics, right? <laughs> but what right. they are known for is is wanting the lowest energy prices and, and competitive energy markets. And so that's really why people are going solar. And when I say people, I shouldn't say people, I should say Customers. Yep. And customers are utilities. Yep. Customers are corporations. And customers are homeowners, right? Apartment owners, warehouse owners, utilities, co-ops, kind of anyone that wants low energy prices, which is pretty much every person and right. every company in the What's United the, States. Can you talk to us about the,
2: <clears throat> the efficiency of solar energy yeah. versus the other sources and, sure. and kind of how that, I guess, maybe the return on my investment works?
4: Yeah. So, so you sort of asked two different questions. Like, of breaking news, you guys, the sun does not shine 24 hours a day, okay? Right. And so if your only source of energy is you, like, unplug from the grid and you yep. do not have any kind of backup power, you're really right. not going to have power 24 hours a day. So you have two choices. You can either not unplug from the grid and rely on your electric distribution utility for the other hours of the day, or you can have a backup battery system. Or you can have some combination of those. So... We talk about the efficiency or sort of the capacity factor mm-hmm. of a solar system being about, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30%. But that, that, that's like a known feature. That's okay. not like shocking news. Um, in terms of your investment, there, there's, it's a payback period, yep. right? Yep. Like it's, it, and it depends on what your energy prices are. So the payback period in a high – where are we now? New York? Yep. Yes. Your energy prices are a tad bit higher than Wyoming, right, yep. or than South Dakota. And so your payback period is going to be shorter, because right. your prices are higher than in those places. So it might be seven years here. Mm-hmm. It might be more years in, yep. a, in a lower cost place. It depends a lot seven on. Seven years
1: is what? The payback for, you're talking about, I guess, the you, average family putting solar on their if roof. If you put
4: solar on your roof, yep. exactly. Um, you know, lots of, lots of factors, but that's a- around ish. But how is solar cost. power
1: viewed versus We'd wind, to, yeah. nuclear, gas?
4: So th- So interesting. You know, you can't actually put wind usually on your home, and you can't have your personal nuke power, right? So those. Oh, well, you can so, if you
1: live in South Dakota. <laughs>
4: <laughs> true, true, and and you ask the SMR guys, right? And they're going to tell you you can have your own personal SMR. Um, but so so re- solar is unique in that you can have your own like it's scalable in a way that a lot of other technologies are not. But utilities, right? They have a choice of different um, energy prices or energy technologies. Solar is the number one. Uh, number one new energy source in the country, and it has been for the last few years. So utilities that are putting out RFPs for new energy sources. Where RFPs? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Request uh, requests for proposals. I see. So okay. they're saying, hey, you know, we have new load. We have new customers. We have new towns that are being built. We have new subdivisions. We have new electric vehicles. Like we are, we are retiring some assets. We need new capacity to fuel our system. So we got, we're putting out a request for proposals to build some new electricity so who's the best option and they'll get a whole bunch of different proposals and over and over they are choosing solar and building solar because it's the lowest price and it's making the most economic sense it for their also customers. i guess it's
1: easier in places like south dakota or texas mm-hmm. right where there's just so much space
2: there's a lot right? of right you're not going to
1: build um a solar farm in westchester Uh, County, for example, because everybody is like right next to the good news.
2: The Princeton campus for Bloomberg has a massive uh, solar arrangement down there, and panels everywhere. So does Denison
1: University's campus. I was just looking at it in Granville, Ohio. But
4: but but your version of massive, Texas's version of massive are a little different. uh, You're exactly right. (laughs) So do you still see growth in
1: those big, massive solar farms? Yes,
4: yes. So the the massive version in the West is like. uh, um, thousands of acres. Thousands of acres. Yeah, yeah. The massive version in yeah, Westchester it, is, acres. is <laughs> yeah. some acres. Yeah. All yeah. right,
2: Abigail, thanks so much for joining us. Abigail Ross Hooper. Hopper, Pres-
4: hopper, hopper. Hopper, I got that. Okay. I'm sorry,
2: I had the right. typo here. Uh, president and CEO of the Solar Energy Industries Association, bringing us up to date here on the powers of solar energy. We're going to have more coming up.
0: You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: Let's take the discussion of interest rates over to the world of real estate. We can do that with Selma Hep economist at core logic she can talk about the fed the rates uh and the real estate market in general selma thanks so much for joining us i just popped up on the bloomberg terminal the bank rate 30-year fixed mortgage 7.88 percent wow what does that mean for the residential real estate market
5: yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh housing market is really in a in a low it is, we're sitting on a bottom in many ways. When you look at home sales activity, we are at the lowest that we've been since at least going back to year 2000. And, and what's even more s- sad is that we are lower than we were coming out of the Great Recession uh, for the housing market. And that was a really low period for the housing market in terms of mortgage. Uh, activity too. Uh, we are at some 40 year low, so we're really sitting at this bottom right now, trying to figure our way out. Uh, at least now in terms of home sales activity, what what seems to be a little bit of a saving grace is that we do have a little bit more of cash sales going on. So cash share has been on a rise and that's a function of, um, you know, baby boomers having more uh, equity in their homes and also to some extent, uh, more uh investors in the market particularly smaller investors in the market also in international uh buyers seem to be back so so that's helping market a little bit but but nothing to uh to to rave about at this point
2: yeah you know it's I guess we go back and look at the last thirty forty fifty years a seven percent mortgage market is not the craziest thing we've seen that many many times, but I guess the question here or the issue here for a lot of folks is boy, we moved up in mortgage rates from the really really quickly more than doubling you know in the space of a year that shock presumably will take some time for you know kind of the market to absorb i guess
5: yeah, absolutely. I think really for a lot of buyers, it is a shock. I mean, affordability, like I said, is at 40 year low, but there are buyers out there and there are buyers now, even at the 8% rate, you know, first time buyers, for example. So there are folks out there, that they're, they're very interesting, but you know, it's something we've talked a lot about before is lack of inventory. So it's not even yep. just the rates at this point, but you know, rates, high rates are locking in uh, potential sellers, inventory is at the lowest level we've seen historically historically so really you know it's, it's 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 a quagmire it's it's we're just uh, you know that there's nothing it's something you know at least we need to see uh, a lower mortgage rate uh, at some point for, for something to change so you
2: know it's I kind of feel like the next issue that somebody has to get a handle on is what is the rate or is there a rate that kind of frees up the market clears out the market that would make uh, you know a, a would-be seller say okay uh, yes, I'm getting out of my 3 or 4% mortgage, but the rates are, I don't know, 5% or 6%, so it's not that bad. Do you guys in the industry have a feeling, like, where interest rates have to go down to before we start to see some of these sellers come back into the market?
5: Yeah, I think if we get back to about 6%, slightly below 6%, I mean, that five handle is very magical in many ways. Uh, but even at 6%, I mean, if you recall earlier this year when uh, mortgage rates came down to 6.2, 6.3, we had quite a bit of activity in the market and, and, and even more, uh, and even inventory was picking up to some extent at that point. At this point, we're just seeing nothing, you know? So I think it will really help to get rates down to 6%.
2: Because I guess one of the questions is uh, the new housing market. Give um, us just a sense of what percent, like h- how big is the new housing market? Can that deal with some of the, the demand out there? Where are we, like new housing as a percentage of t- total housing in terms of supply?
5: Right. I mean, it has been increasing, uh, especially now as as, as uh, existing uh, home sales are frozen and inventory is frozen. So. Uh, new home sales as a share of total sales have been on a rise. Historically I think we've seen about 11% of sales being um, new home sales. Now we are closer to 15, 16 percent of uh, home sales uh, uh, new home sales contributing to overall sales activity. Now the issue too at this point is that you know with mortgage rates approaching 8%, now that's freezing new home market as well. And on the other hand, uh, new home sales are really concentrated in, in in parts of the country where the inventory issues is, are not as large. So, you know, so, so it, it's the other parts of the country that continue to suffer as a result of low inventory and higher mortgage rates.
2: Yeah, because it seems like here in the greater metro area during the pandemic, we had a great exodus of people for you know, states like Texas and Florida and some of the other maybe Sunbelt states, is the supply demand imbalance even more pronounced in some of those faster growth market or are the, the new home builders kind of trying, they're there meeting that demand?
5: Well, I think they're ramping up. Um, I'm not sure that they're necessarily meeting demand, just simply given how many people are moving to those areas. Uh, but they're ramping up, uh, and they are, you know, trying to. And you know, one thing to keep in mind is that it's it's less restrictive to, to build in those areas and less costly. So they are, in a sense, providing that more affordable inventory, uh, smaller homes, and and all these uh, features that that the incoming uh, buyers are looking to looking for. So, so, so that is helping the market. But again, I think overall, you know, we're still se- severely undersupplied. If you look at the uh, existing homes for sale, right, for example, we are now at, a, at about a million, you know, it depends on a month. But to get in a more balanced market, we would need at least double that, at least one point eight million. Wow. Same thing for uh-huh. for new home sales. I mean, new home sales are now below. Um, below um, about seven hundred thousand, I want to say we would need to at least increase that by fifty percent to get some relief uh, in terms of pressure on home prices and overall uh, affordability, and just just better, uh, better b- balanced housing market.
2: All right, someone let's 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 say I'm I'm able to stomach the seven to eight percent thirty-year fixed mortgage. If I go into my bank or my mortgage broker, can I get a, a loan here? Can I get a mortgage?
5: Well, I think so. I mean, I think the lenders are really trying to get buyers in at this point, given just how many have fallen out with higher mortgage rates. It sounds like income, uh, uh, qualifying incomes are now an issue because of debt to income ratio, given how much higher the mortgage rates are. But I mean, you know, lenders are being uh, uh, um, innovative. They're trying to to find ways to qualify folks. You know, and and for for example, in the new home market, there's still a lot of homes Home, uh, uh, home builders and and uh, developers that are offering mortgage rate buy-down programs which is helping with right. that affordability right. at least in first couple of years of home ownership
2: all right selma so i guess talk to us about the rental market then if, i mean if i decide oh gee i can't really stomach a seven or eight percent mortgage i got to continue to rent or go out and rent versus buy is what, what are we see in the rental market
5: right i mean there's two different stores in the rental market there is a single family rental market and there is a multi-family rental market and we've seen quite a bit of uh, new construction going on in multifamily uh on a multi-family side which is uh, putting pressure lower on on rent increases and in some markets we have now at this point seen decline in rents, especially in these markets that were really high growth high rent growth during the pandemic you know think of austin phoenix vegas uh, this really Miami, for example, these really high growth mar- markets during the pandemic. But on a single family side, we are seeing uh, rent plateau, rent growth at least plateau, and actually the markets where we are seeing a lot of uh, increases in rent or relatively higher increase in rent growth are these Midwest more affordable, you know, sort of easy as it goes kind of markets. Uh, St. Mm-hmm. Louis, for example, <laughs> Tops or List, you know. So 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 it's 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 it, different dynamics going. On, But people definitely who cannot afford are, are pivoting to single-family rental markets.
2: Hey, Salma, thank, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Salma Hepp, Chief Economist at Core Lodge talking about the real estate business. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can
1: subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer.
2: I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide
0: at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state